Welcome to the Legislate podcast, a place to learn about the latest insights and trends in property, technology, business building and contract drafting. Today, I'm excited to have Ben Wright on the show, founder and CEO of Upsuite, an online B2B marketplace that makes it easy for teams to find the best co-working spaces. Ben, thank you for being on the show. Would you like to introduce yourself and share a bit of background about Upsuite? Yeah, thank you, Charles. And one of the things I'd say is I'm I'm the also the head of flexible office solutions for Squarefoot. Squarefoot acquired Upsuite last spring, and so I though I have a lot uh, in common with your audience in terms of being a multiple time founder. I now work for a New York based large tech powered brokerage. But yeah, great to to be here. I'll say a little bit about what we do. We enable people to connect in person anywhere. And usually what that means is having flexibility in your real estate decisions. We're focused very much in North America. And what flexibility means is short-term, furnished, Wi-Fi enabled space. And we partner with about 2,500 different locations across uh, the US and Canada to, to supply that to the market. Congratulations on the exit. How have you found the transition from startup to big corporate so far? I think I, I have a lot of mentors. I, I went through a, a program that many of your listeners may know called Techstars and developed a lot of mentor relationships there as well as previously. And basically, you'll always get a lot of advice about being acquired. And what I'd say is most of it, if not all of it, is true to the experience of the person giving uh, the advice. And I think a couple of things that really stand out is very rapid revenue growth. I think that's what you want from being acquired and that has happened. And I think the integration process is somewhat unpredictable and it's really interesting to navigate different elements of the acquiring company. And in our case, our, our business touches about everything that Squarefoot does. So I've, I've gotten to know literally everybody at the company and that's been really interesting and, and different people move at different paces, but we're working really hard at, about nine months in. And I think we're probably on schedule in terms of the acquisition, but certainly the revenue has been uh, phenomenal. Well done again. And so now you have this new experience with Squarefoot before that upsuite. What's been your favorite moment so far in your journey as an entrepreneur? Favorite moment? What a great question. So we had launched our product in May of 2018. We were in Denver. I guess I'll give it two favorite moments. We we're about to launch our product and we signed a, a global agreement with WeWork. And we were just a small group in Denver only at that time. And that felt like a huge win. I, I think the second greatest moment that founders, I think, will relate to is learning that we are one of 10 companies in the world to get selected for the Collier's PropTech Accelerator powered by Techstars. And that meant we were going to move the company to Toronto for three months and really accelerate it. That was a really big moment. And both of those moments happened within the first nine months of starting the company. So both of those were really exciting. I wish I had uh, that level of success in the first nine months of Legislate. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, yeah, it, it's been a lot of work. <laughs> also, so I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound, uh, sound too simple, but uh, I can relate. Of course. So I guess my follow on question is what do you wish you'd known before starting Upsuite? I've mentored a lot of entrepreneurs and I've started three companies. And what I always like to say is you, you have to have a learning mindset as a founder or an entrepreneur and most importantly, you're going to learn the things that you probably 
want to learn the least because as a founder, you're going to see yourself reflected in the team and reflected in the company. And sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. And really good founders can take the bad and work and improve it. And usually that's an improvement in themselves. So some of the things that I wish that I had learned or I sought to learn was understanding the financing landscape and the venture landscape. That was something that I learned really after I had bootstrapped companies before. So I learned a lot, mostly by having hundreds of, of failed meetings with investors. So I learned a bunch of that. It would have been nice to maybe have 50 failed meetings instead of 200. So I'd say that's probably the, the biggest thing. And then I think co-founders slash co-founder relationships and really early relationships with people. I've just reiterated that it's really challenging to find that team that you're going to go through the company with. And yeah, I think that's a lifelong learning as well. So those are probably two things I wish I knew a little bit more about before I started. Great insight. So to take a step back, you mentioned you were fortunate to negotiate a deal with WeWork. What type of contract would your company enter with these office spaces? What type of agreements do you need in place to offer your B2B marketplace to users? Yeah. So for the, the types of contracts that, that we have with operators are different than the types of contracts your listeners might. And we can talk about both. Our contracts are really quite simple, which is functionally, they enable us to take the risk of generating demand for a space and cover our risk of once we introduce that potential member to an operator that we can reliably get paid should they sign an agreement. So the basic structure, that's the first bit, is defining those terms and, and defining certain conditions and ways for an operator to reject an introduction if they want to or accept it and then laying out payment terms. The second one has been really important to our business. And it was something that I remember when we put it into the contract, we didn't know how important it would be but we had an inkling and that was they have a requirement to share and update their pricing and availability with us on a regular basis. That's let us build really the highest quality, most accurate database of co-working operators and pricing and availability that exists today. And that started with a, eh, maybe we'll use this clause in a contract and maybe we won't. But now that we're four years in and having been acquired, that data asset has turned into something that is really valuable and useful. And there are a couple key clauses in it. One is a, a commitment on behalf of the operator to share their information on, on certain frequency. But the other is the express ability for us to share that anonymized data with various third-party sites of our choosing. So those were clauses, this latter half of what I'm saying, were things we didn't know that would be important. We thought they could be but they've ended up being quite important. So you would agree then that data is the new oil? I, I would argue I'm a recovering economist. Early in my career, I was an economist. And back then there was a certain insight that, that there's data, which I would argue is not the new oil. That, that might be the crude oil sitting in the ground. But then there's the what does the data mean, which is, and those insights can be useful. But then the real oil or the real useful thing that's combustible and valuable is what does the data mean for a particular business or person. So creating real meaning and context out of data is probably the new oil. Data itself is just that black stuff in the ground. Of course. And as a startup founder and serial entrepreneur, what are the key contracts that you've interacted with to help build your business and, and hire people? Yeah, I'd say 
really the, the, the basic contracts that have driven our business. We've talked about the agreements we have with operators who are our suppliers. We have a privacy policy slash terms of use for folks that use our platform and interact with us. Those are folks like the founders that you have in your audience. So we have a contract for that. We've negotiated partnership contracts with multiple billion dollar companies who uh, we do business with. Those are, are quite important as well. Our contracts with investors that really govern their rights and how they're able to exercise those rights have been really important. The purchase agreement that we signed to be acquired was important. The employment agreements, and I, I hate to sound like a complete advocate for your business, Charles, but these are all the real contracts we have, even as a four-year-old company. And even referral agreements. We're launching new partnerships now that are mostly around referrals and, and how we share business back and forth. Those contracts are really important. And last but not least, the employment agreements that we have for all the staff that we have. So that's a lot of contracts. And I was fortunate enough, I had been an entrepreneur before. I'd also been in banking before and in investment banking. So long contracts are things that I had some knowledge of before I started the business, but but we have a lot of contracts. I can imagine. And a lot of those agreements legislate does offer, but we're definitely in the process of adding more niche agreements, because ultimately what we're trying to do is make sure that a founder using Legislate can create everything they need to create on Legislate. But we're not yet in the US. We'll be there one day. And with those contracts, are there any common objections or challenges or areas of friction that you've had to overcome? With some of our operator contracts beyond the first transaction, meaning for renewals, have been something that we've needed to work out quite a bit. So I'd say that's really important. I think with, with investor contracts, many of the folks listening will know there are different rights depending on different triggers within a company's life. So for example, one of the things that before I could sell the company, I needed the agreement of a certain percentage of preferred shareholders, then there were also common shareholders. And so investor rights became very central when we were looking at selling the company. Also taking on new investment, that became something that was really important. Our terms of use, as I mentioned before, occasionally some of our users will say, why did you introduce me to a co-working operator? I was just shopping. And our answer is, well, it's in our terms of use that by using our site, you authorize us to do that. So those are three examples of key terms within contracts that I think have created questions, albeit for that last one, we've only gotten that question once out of thousands and thousands of users. There's always that one user who reads everything, but you have to be prepared. So I'm conscious that we've already taken a lot of your time Ben, so I'm going to ask the closing question we ask all our guests. If you were being sent a contract to sign today, what would impress you? Yeah, so I just went through refinancing a, a house and, and I was shocked to find out that the title company showed up with a 50 page, 50 signature paper contract. And, and honestly, I almost got carpal tunnel signing my own refinance. So I'm a huge advocate for digital contracts. So I assume that should be how contracts are signed today. So I have a, a base level of expectation there. What would make it uh, a surprise or really valuable would be almost that you could have a back and forth almost as in a Google Doc, but within that contract to incorporate changes and agree to changes digitally. That's something that at least my version of DocuSign or HelloSign does not have. And so I'd be thrilled if the platform uh, I was using had that. Yeah, at Legislate, we definitely offer a lot more flexibility than uh, DocuSign and HelloSign in the sense that you can 
remove and replace clauses, etc., by changing your answers to the questions. But I, I think one key thing that we do is we make sure that any changes that a user can make are legally valid, because obviously we don't want people to DIY their templates and end up with a template which can't be enforced legally. We then make that contract data easily accessible for management purposes and, and extracting insights from contracts. Thank you, Ben, for being on the show. Best of luck with the remainder of the integration with Squarefoot, and, and hopefully we can have you on the show again. Yeah, thank you so much, Charles. Thank you.